0: Welcome to the Princeton Evangelical Free Church Podcast. I'm John Padno, the lead pastor here at PEFC, where it is our desire to equip people to grow together in Christ. Our hope is that this podcast is a help and an encouragement to you this week. May God bless you as you listen. We are in Acts chapter 16 as we follow along with Paul in his crazy adventures. Uh, Acts chapter 16, beginning in verse 16, we have sort of a well-known story. And and I've kind of entitled this. I know the title in the bulletin is different, but if you love to take notes, we're going to talk a lot about gain. Some of y'all already talk a lot about gains, right? Getting those gains. We're going to talk about the hope of gain And the first question, and a question we're going to ask throughout, is what do you hope to gain? What do you hope to gain? What do you hope to gain by coming to church this morning? What do you hope to gain? What do you hope to gain that is going to allow you to want to wake up when your alarm goes off at 5.30 in the morning and go to work? What do you hope to gain by going to work tomorrow? What do you hope to gain, or what did you hope to gain by going on that hot date on Valentine's, right? <clears throat> you know what I'm talking about. What do you hope to gain by accepting that new position at work? By going to the gym and pumping iron when weights are heavy? We hope to gain not just in accumulating things or literally adding things, but we also hope to gain by losing things at times, don't we? Uh, What do you hope to gain through weight loss? What do you hope to gain through retiring from doing a full-time job? What do you hope to gain? What do you hope to gain by getting free from behaviors or habits that are destructive in your life? What is the hope that you have to gain through that? We're going to look at these aspects here. First, through the gain that comes through loss. Look at it with me. Verse 16 of chapter 16, it says that as we were going, so this is the author Luke has joined the merry band of best friend missionaries through Asia Minor, and as we were going to the place of prayer, it says that we as a group, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination. She was possessed. And not only that, but the fact that she was possessed and a fortune teller meant that she brought her owners much gain. Everyone say gain. But what she began to do was very weird. She followed Paul and us, this, this entourage, and as she would follow along, she would be crying out in the city, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And she kept following along and she kept crying out in the same manner for many days. And as many of us would, Paul became greatly annoyed. (laughs) And so he turned to her and said, Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And the Spirit came out of her that very hour. She was free. The first question we have in this instance is, what is wrong with what the girl is saying? Is she not proclaiming the truth? She is, but yet she's doing it in a way that undermines the gospel and it undermines what Paul and Silas and the rest of the crew are trying to do. Do demons know the truth of who the Most High God is? They absolutely do, time and time again, but they do not proclaim this truth in order for others to submit to the truth of who the Most High God is. Perhaps... The plan here was to proclaim the truth in order that later she could be deceptive. In other words, if this fortune teller says that something is true and these missionaries confirm that it's true without ever having a conversation with her, one might deduce that maybe she is trustworthy to tell the truth. She could be a trusted source. And yet, we all sort of in the back of our minds remember the saying, there's always a little bit of lie, right? Or I should say, a little bit of truth to any lie or deception that we find in our life. And so there is that kernel of truth that she has, but she is through and through, she doesn't know the truth. The meaning of what she is doing as well is literally through ventriloquy. Has anyone seen a ventriloquist before? I'm going to give you an example of ventriloquy, okay? Are you ready? Ventriloquy is the art or practice of making one's voice appear to come from somewhere else, typically a dummy of a person or animal. How did I do? (laughs) I think I'll still wake up and come to work tomorrow. But think about her crying out and literally she's throwing her voice out like this. That, to me, would be super creepy. And I don't think I would follow the gospel if such weird things were happening. And yet we notice Paul, he casts out the demon, commands the demon, not by his own power, not from his own craft, not because he studied the art of uh, demon possession, but through the power found only in the Lord Jesus. And yet, we see here that the hope of gain is not merely through loss or superficial gain. What do I mean by that? Um, So now, this slave girl, she doesn't have a demon, so therefore, she's a good person. Right? This is where our minds oftentimes want to go. Because good people don't do the will of demons, correct? Right? That's a safe assumption. But just because she doesn't have a demon inside of her doesn't automatically mean that she's doing the will of God either. right? She is, maybe in some respects, now found empty. And it reminds me of some scriptures that Jesus says that, that is very, uh, very interesting. Jesus talks about this idea of demon possession. He says, when the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest, like places that are sort of unknown to us. And when it passes through these places, it finds no one. And so it says to itself, I will return to my house or my dwelling place from whence I came. And here's the sad part. When it comes back to that person or that dwelling place, it finds that it is swept and put in a nice, neat Order, But the problem is that it can move back in because it's maybe swept nice, neat, and clean, and good person, but not Holy Spirit-filled. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there, and the last state of that person is worse than the first. All that is to say is even in this instance, although she lost a demon My hope is she not only lost an evil spirit, but she gained the Holy Spirit and wasn't left empty. Right? We kind of want to stop with making her a well-adjusted member of society. And so there is a first sort of practical application in not settling for loss or superficial gain. That is to say, not just stopping doing something, but the planting of something better. So we think through, uh, as I mentioned before, what is your gain in stopping destructive behaviors in your life? This may be addictions, it may be other things. What do you have to gain by stopping a destructive behavior in your life? You see, most of the time we do not move out of these behaviors simply because we cannot imagine something else that would have more value, more weight, and more worth that we would choose to give up that behavior, if we're honest. We need something that will truly motivate us to change. Some of you, maybe as you think about this idea, the practical of not settling for superficial loss, I know that there's many of you who struggle with depression. But what Jesus wants to do in your life with your depression is not just get rid of the thoughts and the thought patterns that plague you, but he wants to implant in your life better thoughts, thoughts of hope that you can point the eyes of your heart toward in order to have joy again. It's one thing to stop having a plague of thoughts and lies. It's a whole other thing for your heart to have joy again. To be able to sing. What hope do you have to gain in your marriage? How many of you couples are in this room? I want to see couples. How many of you are married in this room? Can show your ring finger there. How many of you married couples love to fight with your spouse? I mean, it's just your favorite, right? (laughs) Especially in public places. All of that, right? Get all mad and slam the doors. Great. Fabulous. Yet for those of us that are having those struggles of fighting with our spouse, the vision of our communication as husband and wife is more than simply not fighting and not slamming doors anymore. Is it not? Right? Stopping short wouldn't really make it then a healthy marriage that would bring you joy to be what friends with your spouse so you're not fighting so you're not slamming doors do you actually enjoy one another right do you go out and do things together do you want to look deeply into their eyes and not just at your Salisbury steak do people eat Salisbury steak anymore That is the hope of superficial gain that sometimes we like to stop short of what the Lord Jesus and his good gifts he really wants to give us. What we see next is the idea of worldly gain in a picture from one of my favorite cartoons as a kid. Look at with me in verse 19. Remember, this fortune teller brought a ton of cash money into somebody's wallet. It says, but her owners saw that their hope of gain, everyone say gain, was gone. They seized Paul and Silas, and they didn't just uh, politely ask them to go. They dragged their butts all the way into the marketplace before all of the rulers to bring them to court. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews, and they are disturbing this city. True or false? They advocate the customs that are not lawful for us Romans to accept or even practice. They are just utterly unRoman. The crowd joined in in attacking them, and the magistrates, they tore their garments off of them and gave orders to have Paul and Silas be beaten with rods. When they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison. And they were really, they were afraid because they ordered the jailer you got to keep them safely because they have some powers we're scared of. Having received this order, he put them not just in prison, but the innermost part of the prison and fastened their feet in the stocks so they could not get out. We see that the owners, of course, of this fortune-telling girl are not happy to find out that she is now no longer demon possessed, but rather they are using her for dishonest gain. Do people use others for gain today? Even spiritual people use others for dishonest gain? I was met this morning uh, with an article that I saw shared about an American evangelist. Not all evangelists are evil, I'll, I'll say this. Uh, but this particular evangelist, is selling a bottle of liquid that can cure the coronavirus, he says. How many of you believe that we are living in the end times? Many of us. This televangelist believes we are living in the end times, and so let me tell you, he is selling a bucket of coffee that you can keep in your doomsday shelter. He even says you could trade one of these packets of coffee maybe for a car because things are going to be so sparse. But lucky you, you can buy his bucket of coffee, which reminds me that I have this bottle of holiness that could be yours for the three-time fee of 19.99. You drink it, it will bring you holiness, and for some, it might cause hair growth, which is a little bit weird. But both effects it has. We talk about this idea of worldly gain. What do I mean when I say worldly gain? You know, in this context, you know, Jesus doesn't go battering people about the stuff they have, but rather he is always teaching about their heart and their heart towards the stuff that they have. You know, worldly gain, I want to define as this, especially in this context, is gain that causes the people around us to be viewed as people who are here to recognize us for our greatness And to serve us. That is, worldly gain would be causing us to view people as instruments of our praise and glory. And when I say those words, you think that is a terrible thing to think and say about other people around you. And yet, we do. You ever wonder why we are not always thankful for our servers at restaurants? Or when we are rude to others in the service industry? You know, sometimes you you get bad service, but it doesn't always stem from the kind of service we, we receive, but how greatly we view ourselves entitled and deserving of their service. Jesus tells us the first shall be last and the last shall be first because this is how it is in the kingdom of God. Amen? He also tells us that the first will be last and the last will be first because our propensity towards being the first who are served by others instead of being the first to serve others. If you don't believe me, I encourage you, Wednesday morning, because there's no school Monday or Tuesday, correct, Mrs. Hopper? Wednesday morning, this principle is played out at bus stops all across America, right? First will be last, last will be first. No way, I want to be first, and I'm going to kick you in the shins if you try to butt in ahead of me. Do people come out and say that they're only interested in dishonest gain? I mean, what are the charges that they bring Paul and Silas? It is disturbing the peace and customs that are simply un-Roman to us. For us in this place, the practical question for us is, how would I know if what I'm really after is in fact worldly gain? How would I know? So again, we come back to our question, what do you hope to gain? If the end goal, as we see here, Scrooge McDuck, any DuckTales fans in there? If your end goal is like Scrooge McDuck, it is to swim in your vault full of money. Yet I remember, as I think about this, even being a kid, uh, that as deep as the gold in Scrooge McDuck's vault is, we still saw him as pretty shallow for his desire, didn't we? What has the utmost value in God's eyes? I know one thing we can say for sure is people. Jesus values people. And so a question in terms of, am I doing this for worldly gain would be, In what way does this, this could be uh, a job, it could be a promotion, in what way does this bring out the value and worth of those around me? Or maybe another question, you know, uh, I don't mind fast cars. I love speedboats, and especially as I think about summer, you got a speedboat, let's go. But in what way does my gain become a gain for those around me, even though they have done nothing to receive said gain? And even as I type this out, uh, in that moment, I I think uh, for all of you, you're thinking, Pastor, you're nuts. Right? These are just idealist uh, statements here. Right? Who thinks like this? And I want to tell you this morning, beloved. This is the gospel. If you're a Christian, this is the gospel you believe. As we think like this, we think like Jesus because Jesus, through suffering, to redeem the value of humanity in relationship to God, he died on the cross in order to what? Give us the benefits of adoption and righteousness as if we were perfect sons and daughters of the king, of which we didn't deserve any of it and we did no work to even attain it. This is the gospel. And as we see the jailer given strict orders, punishment by death, perhaps for himself, he takes Paul and Silas into the innermost prison. They, uh, their clothes, right, their, their uh, Versace they were wearing, all tattered, they're just beaten, they're bruised, they're hurting. I mean, I I can imagine, and and in fact, I've been in a prison. I've been in the prison where Jesus was awaiting his crucifixion. It's cold, it's dark, it's dirty, and you got open wounds. It's not a great time. And so let's look at verse 25. What is their reaction here? It says, at about midnight, Paul and Silas, they were praying, and they were singing hymns to God. And all the prisoners could hear them. And they were listening to these words. They were listening to the proclamations of who God is. The proclamations of his promises for them today and their future. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. Kids, shake your chair. Yes! And immediately, everyone say, immediately, all the doors were open and everyone's bonds were also unfastened. And when the jailer woke and he saw that the prison doors were open, he was afraid. He was hopeless. And so he drew his sword and he was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But. Paul, in all of the commotion, he cries out with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. How many of you would still be there? (laughs) And the jailer called for light and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, It's simple. Just believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. You and even your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all that were in his household so that each individually could respond to the gospel. And he took them, the jailer took them the hour of the night, and he washed their wounds. And then, in fact, he was washed. He was baptized at once. He and his families who responded to the gospel. Then he brought them up into the house. He set food before them. And the jailer rejoiced, along with his entire household, that he had believed in God. As I read this account of what they're doing as they are in prison and knowing the state that they're in, maybe you can relate with me. I feel as though my gospel is, is fragile, right? Like the sheer amount of little things that can go wrong in my life that make me think that God isn't at work around me? Some of you, maybe you relate to this. Your gospel at times feels so fragile that the sheer little things that go wrong in your life make it so you think that God isn't working in you at all, makes you think and causes you not to pray, not to read your Bible. But Paul and Silas's gospel is deep, it's wide and it's strong. It's strong enough that even after being beaten and thrown in prison, they can still sing and pray. Their gospel is wide enough that it affects everyone around them. And it's deep enough that they would even forfeit frolicking out of jail after being freed in order to love their own jailer. Beloved, God's will Wasn't in letting them go free in peace, but in gaining people for the kingdom. That was God's will for for their life. The jailer says, What must I do to be saved? In fact, this is the most important question that, that could be asked. What was going through the mind of this jailer that he would go from thinking about ending his own life to then giving his life to Jesus? What does he hope to gain? He hopes to gain a firm foundation worth living for and worth trusting in. God, as we see here with the jailer, God, as we see with Lydia, is a God that opens hearts to trust him. And we may all be at different stages, at different ages, different backgrounds, but we all, too, can trust in Jesus and have that same foundation. As we begin to close this morning, we're going to close with some words from the Lord Jesus. He says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Why? Because whoever would save his life will in fact lose it in trying to pursue the ways that he can save it. But Jesus promises whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will in fact save his entire life. For what does it profit you to gain the whole world and yet forfeit your soul? Jesus' is practical application for you. For what can you give in return for your soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words and his adulterous and sinful generation of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father and the holy angels. So what do you hope to gain? As we close, uh, it's interesting that the Lord timed this out that we would celebrate Valentine's Day. Does anyone know the history of St. Valentine? Yeah, we got some. St. Valentine, and I hope I get this right, uh, he was thrown in prison, as Paul and Silas was, and he prayed for his jailer, specifically his jailer's daughter. Uh, And what she was, was she deaf or was she blind? She was blind. So St. Valentine is in prison for proclaiming the gospel. He prays for the jailer's daughter who is blind, and she is healed from her blindness. And he writes her a letter before he is put to death and he signs it, your Valentine. God still changes the world using ordinary people, even people who get sent to prison. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for who you are. Thank you for listening to today's podcast and consider subscribing and sharing with others. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please go to princetonfree.com. God bless.